Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 211, recording this on Thursday the 23rd of March 2017. I'm Steve Litchfield. With me I have Rafe Blanford. Hello everybody. Yes, good to be back and recording the usual All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast. I know we've got a lot to get through this week. We'll probably round out some topics that we uh, talked about last week as well and the general mobile things as well. So yes, always busy on this podcast. Yeah, uh, the top of the hour, as it were, uh, Windows 10 Mobile, the fast string, has now gone to build 15.063. And you may say, well, what's strange about that other than some, some new numbers? Well, the, the, <laughs> the, the, money, the word on the street is that this is Redstone 2 and it's now fully baked, i.e. that all the language packs are in, all the APIs are filled out. There's Literally, they've, they've dotted the I's and crossed the T's. And it's also now rolling out, apparently, as I record this, to the slow ring, which means it's not far off going to the release preview ring. Keep up at the back, which means it's not far off going out to the mass market and production devices. I've got one of my Lumias, Rafe, the 950. I've reset it right back to scratch and taken it up to the release preview ring. So that will kind of be my uh, canary in the cage, as it were, so that when when Redstone 2, a.k.a. the creator's update, hits that, then they really will know that it's imminent about to roll out to you know the Joe blogs out there on the street. So that, does that all sound exciting enough? It, it does sound exciting. I mean, it's hard to get excited when actually you're seeing updates appear on a very frequent basis I and mean, it's kind of feast or famine you complain when you don't have them and <laughs> i'm complaining that there are lots of them but yes um i think the exciting thing here is that it's imminent we've kind of guessed that for a while because in some ways the rate of updates or other new things coming into the releases has definitely slowed down and there's been that sense they've kind of been finalizing things i guess until we get to that release candidate stage that's sort of the the real sign but this is almost pre-release candidate and then we get a release and then another release and actually <laughs> I mean, all it really means is i mean kind of in time with the timing we were you know thinking was going to happen for a may release um it, it all looks that that's gonna gonna follow in due course um kind of less to talk about in terms of uh, new features i know some of the uh, the bugs have been uh, squashed and some of the you know depending on whether you've been affected by them they'll be irritating or not but also i guess um things like the speech packs and sort of the localization, they're important because if you're outside of the kind of the main English language, you'll get very frustrated if those aren't available. Um, so it's that it's that thing when you get to this stage, it's actually quite easy to say, yes, give it this a go, even if you're yeah. not really wanting to live on the cutting edge. But I suppose the advice, Steve, would still be uh, if it's your main device, you're probably well advised to keep it on, on slow ring or even on the kind of release candidate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the release preview is certainly the one I recommend generally, even you know, in between the different uh, branches of the OS. If you're on the release preview, then you're kind of getting stuff that's been tested and has gone through two rings already, and yet you're still getting it ahead of the mainstream. So that's always the, the one I'd recommend for a main device. But like you, I've got about four or five uh, Lumias in front of me, and they're all on different <laughs> rings and status. It's, I've actually got a whiteboard, I think I've mentioned this before, listing every device I own, and this current status just because I, I can't remember from one day to the next and this way i could think quickly i need a slow ring device and i can instantly go to it it's all quite exciting um one story i put up it's kind of a off the wall really this came out actually late last year as a concept design by bartlomi tarnowski and but I, it's not a concept uh, design and image that i'd really studied in any great depth 
And given what we now know about uh, Microsoft's plans for the future and you know, a, a, a new design that will break through genres, a new paradigm in mobile computing, all of that, I thought that his design actually looked quite realistic. And if you want to bring up the story, listed a Surface Phone concept, but a very well-educated guess. I was quite impressed and taken by this design. And just to describe it, and as this is an audio podcast, kind of a six-inch phablet, sort of Elitex 3 style thing, but slightly squared corners, um, but with a folio case stroke back, with the, where the, the front inside flap of the folio is a QWERTY keyboard along the lines of the Surface Pro keyboards. I know you know, Rafe. Uh, and on the back, having a sort of fold-out kickstand eight also along the lines of the Surface um, tablets and hybrids. So have a look at that picture, Rafe. Do you think that's realistic? I think it actually could be done. I think this is not too far off what Microsoft could be planning. And if this is true with a six and a half inch diagonal, minimal bezels, it's going to be the same sort of size as the 1520, but with all the sort of surface styling and goodness that we've come to know and love. Of course, it's going to be very expensive, but I think this is realistic. Yeah, I think if you look at the, the big picture, it, it seems uh, fair enough. I mean, doing things like a relatively thin, as you say, photo cell case keyboard, that's certainly durable, kickstand on the back. If anything, I would say the device looks like it might be a little on the thick side compared to what we're seeing some of the other flagship devices doing. And particularly when you've got six and a half inches to play with, you kind of you can actually go a bit thinner and still keep a, a big battery in there. Yeah. The other thing is it's got basically no bezels it's a uh, screen right to the edge um we are starting to see that happen you know it was actually notable in something like the lg g6 was getting very good at that i guess the samsung uh, s8 when that gets announced this week or sorry next week um that'll be interesting to see because that's also rumored to, to so that's it that's maybe question but yeah the kind of the big picture thing makes sense to me i guess the only other comment i would make is that you can clearly see the heritage of this design is drawn from the kind of the surface pro tablets both with the keyboard and some of the styling the kickstand one of the things that microsoft has done with all of its surface devices is kind of reinvent the form factor and that sounds a bit grandiose but you certainly think about the transformer uh, trend which effectively was kicked off or at least popularized by the surface devices and then we've seen them come out with things like the surface hub you know with having the you know essentially a big conference room tv with touch and sort of uh, a kind of smart screen and then of course the desktop pc and then the um the laptop device as well all with that surface branding so this feels like it's uh, an understandably quite connected to the surface tablets particularly the stand the keyboard and i wonder whether microsoft's surface design team would actually come up with a way to reinvent the phone that we haven't thought of yet i mean there's only so <laughs> many things you can do and actually, you know, is there another way to say that have the phone stand up? You know, because this is kind of feels like the reinvention of a, a clamshell device. Not that I have anything against that, because actually I really like that. I mean, I like the communicators and obviously both Steve and I are fans of the sound devices as well. But you know, is, is that the right approach? I, I honestly don't know. Um, but in terms of the overall styling and the effect, and I think, you know, the blockiness of it and kind of the Microsoft colors. Yeah, I mean, that's all, all spot on. It does bring up some really interesting things. And, you know, you've commented on this, things like having this start screen in both portrait and landscape mode. You know, that actually, that sense of a transformer phone is kind of kind of yeah. interesting to think about, particularly in the light of the Elite X3. You know, so it, it, it's, as you said in the article, it's kind of like a Surface Mini. And then it's sort of this, I just don't know whether that's actually 
the, the vision that they're espousing. And certainly it fits in with what Microsoft is doing. And, you know, the Elite X3, I'll come back to that because it's an example of that. But actually that's a direction that Microsoft has also been suggesting with, you know, the universal apps as well. Also with the way they talk about Windows and being the same everywhere. And so there's, yeah, there's a lot that just smells right. I mean, it passes the sniff test. Um, the interesting one that I saw on here as well was the stylus. I'm just not sure about that on a device this size. <laughs> I think, think it makes sense on, on tablet. And, you know, it's interesting that Apple came back to it after what Steve Jobs said about styluses. And we've you know seen Samsung be pretty successful with something like the S Pen. Um, they have done it on the, on the Note device. And, you know, it seems to have been popular there. Although it feels to me that was sort of more a way to make it stand out, differentiate it a bit, give it sort of an extra bit of variation in their smartphone lineup. I, I'm yet to be convinced about pen on this kind of smaller scale yeah. device, but I'm, I'm happy to be proved wrong. And actually that's absolutely the sort of thing that Microsoft could approach and go, yeah, we're going to do something a little bit different here. And certainly the technology of styluses has come on a long way since we were using them on the, uh, on the sign five, Steve. And so if they could reinvent something there, make it really interesting around sketching or handwriting, or maybe the surface of the phone, you know, and there's actually, you know, most of the problem with uh, styluses and touch comes from the fact that you know, you're on a glass screen. It, it doesn't feel like using a pen or doesn't have the right texture. So there's absolutely still room to do interesting things there. I mean, is there anything in your mind that doesn't quite work here or that particularly caught your attention as being on trend or on point? Well, the, the, the concept image shown has a Surface Pro style kickstand. And I know the idea is that that would then prop the device up to let you use it as a laptop with the, the folio keyboard. I, like you, I think that if you were to have a metal hinged kickstand on the back of the phone, that really would make the, the phone too thick, especially if you've got this folio case as well. Um, so quite how a kickstand is managed, maybe it'll simply like we've been saw in some of the previous devices four or five years ago with kind of a an end clip that that folds out from the back of the phone. And it's literally just a kickstand, a point stand rather than the mm. entire slab that unfolds from the back of the phone. One of the HTCs running um, Windows Phone 7.5, I believe, had something similar. I'll look it up. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and well and there's been things that have been around the camera with a kind of a fold down yes, flat that's it. Yeah, yeah. rather than the whole thing and yes you know i would have thought with the engineering around the hinges you've got it would be possible to do something that doesn't require a flap along the whole of the back of the device and yeah you know it, it, it's interesting i'm sure there'll be something clever you could do there and that's actually been the mark of the surface devices you know be it the hinges or you know the small keyboards or, or whatever you, you kind of pick it out and they go that's what they've kind of broken the mold mold for and I, I would love them to do the same in the phone space especially given how i think it's fair to say it's we haven't seen a lot of hardware innovations not in that big form factor sense it's all been very samey glass slabs yeah yeah we did hear i think at the back end of last year microsoft spoke in the context of Windows 10 on ARM, as in a full implementation of Windows 10 on, on ARM chipsets, about 6-inch, 10-inch, and 14-inch form factors. And they've, they're clearly targeting something like this. And I imagine that if such a Surface phone came into existence, it would that would be logical to come in along the lines of the first version of Windows 10 on ARM. And you wouldn't, because you're looking at the 6-inch form factor, you don't actually necessarily even have to have the full... With Windows 30, Windows 32 emulation working at that stage, they could release this earlier and say, "Look, it runs Windows t full Windows 10 on ARM chipsets, 
uh, each set with a, 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 a kind of a mobile start friendly start screen and the win 32 stuff will come along later in an update and that will work over continuum displays and also on larger devices so there's, there's lots to come but i still think this six inch form factor is still maybe not dear to microsoft's heart but at least on their whiteboard rafe yeah, and and that does become interesting. And I, you know, we've been talking about the hardware thing here, but actually, software might be the the innovative thing here because, um, you know, we've talked about how we like the Elite X3 in terms of the kind of the strategy behind it, the thought, and the prevailing kind of underlying ethos of trying to do everything from a single device. Actually, if you are running for Windows, and actually we're able to do that, including the Win32 stuff. And I mean full Windows, not just sort of the Windows on ARM that we kind of had on the tablets like the Nokia 2520 and, and some of the uh, kind of the, the Surface without the Pro designation. That would actually be really interesting to me, particularly if it then came along with in, an interesting way to dock it and, you know, just a, a monitor and a mouse. You know, because we've said before we like that, but actually it hasn't quite been fully realized, that vision on the Elite X3. And actually the missing thing is is kind of the software and if you really were running for Windows 10, you know, effectively you're you're then just talking about a computer being shrunk down to fit in your pocket. It, that become that does become interesting, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next news story: This is Skype, a universal Windows platform app, um, has now dropped the preview tag, which doesn't sound very exciting. But I I was very <laughs> interested to read over on Register our good friend Andrew Olaski, um, pointing out what a mess the the competitors. Uh, messaging systems well maybe not the iphone that kind of stands alone but certainly on android google has made a right mess of of, of its own uh, built-in messaging platforms and allo and duo and hangouts and google talk and it really is a complete mess um, he makes a very good point that at least microsoft have keeping fairly simple and that they've been integrating all their various um, uh, over-the-top messaging and voice and video calling applications all under the one banner and this now includes the what was previously the link LYNC, um, and that's now or Skype for Business. That's now included. So basically, we've got a Skype UWP app that runs on phone, tablets, and PCs equally well. Can handle text messaging if required as well. Can handle voice calling, uh, video calling. Uh, file transfer everything all in the one application and micro and andrew made the very good point that microsoft for once is one of the few companies that's actually got its house in order and is presenting a, an ordered portfolio yeah it's not often you kind of feel feel yourself saying microsoft has done exactly the right thing here but it does kind of reflect on their general mobile strategy which is going to make their things available on all platforms and that's where you could draw a contrast with apple you know facetime and imessage are great but they are limited to being within the Apple ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and while that's big, and in some markets, you know, it's 50%, 60% market share, it's not going to be everyone. And I think that's actually one of the reasons Skype has sort of continued to thrive because, you know, Microsoft has taken a, a completely universal attitude to it. But you're right, they have been very smart in combining in Link and some of the other things as well. It's exactly the right thing to do because, you know, People want it. I mean, the fact that some of the UI of the Skype application on desktop and on on Mac and elsewhere isn't always that great actually is its testament that by having everything unified, you know, they're able to overcome that. And you know, yeah, on yeah. mobile devices, actually, I think uh, Skype works pretty well, and we've seen the integration with the calling screen and things like that. And you know, that works really nicely. I mean, my experience from kind of from the personal world, it's you know it's still something that's used by a lot of people to make international calls, and this is sort of anecdote, so it's not real, real data. <laughs> but also then in the enterprise space, you know, quite often 
there's kind of tools for internal communication um, and that, you know, it might be link or it might be Skype or sometimes it's something completely else. And, you know, the video calling and the audio calling aspect is being built into a lot of tools and something like Slack is probably the, the classic example of that. But there's a lot that do that. But that's fine for the internal teams. But then when you have to collaborate with another company that's on a different system, it can be a bit of a nightmare. And Skype still seems to be a bit of a universal thing that a lot of people have. And it's kind of the default fallback a lot of the time. And I think that actually says, you know, that's to Microsoft's credit, really. Um, and yeah, as you say, in uh, Windows 10 mobile terms, dropping the preview tag probably isn't that exciting. But it does seem to... Um, Know, be pretty stable and to be working pretty well now uh, skype on windows phone always a bit controversial especially recently because of the old application i know you've got some news on that as well <laughs> well in theory it was supposed to have stopped working at <laughs> the old 8.1 skype um silverlight application at the start of this month it's still working every day i boot up my louis 1020 and lo and behold skype still works so I, i'm guessing at some point the appropriate servers and the appropriate architectures will be turned off but it hasn't happened yet but i will report back in the meantime everybody's still online and um, the skype uwp app rafe is really rather nice on windows 10 mobile partly because so many of the devices we've got here are amoled screens which means that whenever you're faced with a full white interface as skype tends to be on many platforms or indeed many messaging applications tend to be on most platforms they nearly all tend to be white background and you not only do you get completely blinded at night but you realize you realize using up 15 times as much power Whereas with the dark theme that that's, Skype's available on the Windows 10 Mobile, it it really fits in very well with the AMOLED screens and with power saving. And especially using Skype at night is a real pleasure. And I think the other thing about it, which it doesn't get enough credit for, it actually does manage to fairly seamlessly switch between messaging, video calling, and audio calling, and it it, ju- it just works. And you know that's the thing about <laughs> Skype. You know, yes, it's sort of it's big, bad Microsoft and all of that behind the scenes, and it may not be as cool as some of the other solutions around, but a lot of it works. And then if you want to do things like having the the voicemail or being able to dial out to, uh, you know, landline numbers or mobile numbers or, you know, have a number associated with your Skype account, you absolutely can do that. And that kind of robustness and quality is, is not to be underestimated in an application like this. We probably all use things like WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger as well for day-to-day messaging but i think for a lot of people it's kind of the go-to for doing that kind of over-the-top video and audio calling if you're not using something that's built into the the platform itself yeah, well well whatsapp in particular is, isn't actually available in uwp um form they, they've styled it at the 8.1 app to look like a windows 10 application which is a good strategy if they want to hit the maximum number of handsets but isn't quite as elegant at the low level um, so I, in that sense, Skype is more efficient. And the Facebook Messenger, the less said about it, the better, because it's <laughs> horrifically inefficient on just about any platform, really. But it's especially inefficient on Windows 10. So again, I think Skype ticks all the boxes. You and I and uh, the AAS and AWP teams have used Skype as our yeah, sort of in, inter-office <laughs> back channel for over a decade now. And we still do it because it just, as you say, it just works. And no matter how many podcasts, including our own, um, complain that, oh, we had Skype problems today and the Skype's playing up and we do hope you can hear this gentle listener, all of that. Year after year, we carry on using it because it's still the best tool and it still produces the highest quality with overall the least number of problems. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I spotted um, that the Windows 10 Maps uh, was updated about a week or so ago and they'd noted that multiple destinations uh, for routing had been inserted. Now, I couldn't work out how it worked. 
So I decided an investigation was in order. So if you click on the link, um, planning a multiple destination route in Windows 10 maps, I went right through it and sort of taught myself how to do it. It's actually quite tricky if you think about it, Rafe. I mean, I was involved with um, writing my own mapping software back in the day, as, as people will know. Then I helped TomTom produce the, um, with the, the sort of document their TomTom Go and their, their own route planning software. And I, I had to wrestle at the time with how do you do good route planning where you've got multiple destinations and you want alternative routes? Tr designing a user interface that actually presents all this to the user in a logical fashion. So they build up their route, then they add destinations, then they change the order. It's not easy. It really isn't easy. At first, I thought Microsoft had done a really bad job because I just couldn't make head or tail of it. Once you realise how to do it, and hopefully my tutorial will make this easier, uh, it actually starts to become quite logical and with only a, a relatively few number of caveats. And I would argue as few caveats as doing the same thing on Google Maps or even um, TomTom software. So have a look at the tutorial. I, I think, hope I've explained it well. I will go back and read all the comments, uh, listeners, and, and in case I need to add anything else. But I think Microsoft has done a pretty good job here. Yeah, I haven't tried this out myself yet, but just looking through your tutorial, I can see that they've obviously thought quite carefully about it. And it's an interesting one because Maps has always elicited a lot of comment and a lot of feedback. But I think because it's one of those applications that uh, a lot of people use and have very fixed ideas about how they should work, you know, because they've got experience from other platforms or from standalone devices. And I remember talking to both TomTom and Copilot about this, and they said, actually, what happens is it kind of segments into about three different audiences. It's a kind of a casual user who basically will only ever use it to get to a particular destination. And they wouldn't ever think about multiple directions. In fact, they'll just go, OK, get me to the first location. Then they'll plot another journey. Then you kind of get, if you like, the, the prosumer user who absolutely would do multiple directions, but maybe is not using it that frequently. So you need to make it easy enough for them to be able to pick up and use. And then you've got kind of often you know, maybe uh, fleet drivers or lorry drivers who are using the application day in and day out, absolute power users, want every last bit of functionality. And the trouble is those three groups have quite different expectations of what it should do and more to the point have you know different abilities to kind of remember tricky bits of interface and you know the reality is you want to make it as simple as possible so everyone can use it but not annoy some of the power users and actually they i think they've done a pretty good job here kind of meeting that that middle ground because if you do want to just use the basics it, it's still there but actually it is just one tap effectively to add an additional destination yeah. uh, and it's you know fairly self-evident um maybe i'm saying that having read steve's tutorial <laughs> you which is uh, used it. <laughs> you know haven't used it so i, I, I can't talk to that too much um, but I'm actually pretty impressed with what Microsoft has done with maps in general, because there was a lot of fear when, you know, they didn't take on here maps and all of that, that, you know, it would become a second class application. And, you know, there was a suggestion, oh, well, they'll make it a bit desktop like and actually, no, it's very strong on its mobile yeah. user experience credentials. I'd actually say you could make an argument this is as strong as or even stronger than uh, Google Maps. I mean, it's different because Google Maps people have familiarity with from the desktop, so it's kind of got an advantage there. Um, but I definitely think it wins over something like Apple Maps, for example. Um, and it's interesting, you know, here is sort of rebranded to uh, sort of here we go and that kind of thing. And actually, I I don't <laughs> think it, you know it's necessarily good. I mean, it, it it's always difficult to judge these things because actually Maps on Windows 10 Mobile follows the Windows way of doing things, and you're comparing it to an application on another platform that does things in its own way but you know windows and its kind of style guidelines does lend itself to these kind of very straightforward 
task-based step-by-step experiences and and that's what mapping basically is all about and particularly the setup is quite good i wonder whether there's maybe a bit more work to be done in kind of the driving mode um but i think that's probably the thing that's most subjective and most personal based on the experience you've had before because ultimately you know even there there's a lot of variation some people will absolutely look at the screen every time and use that for their guidance other people want it all done through the audio and some people do a combination of the two or you know have someone sitting in the car reading it off and telling them what to do um but all in all actually i think maps is one of the kind of unremarked gems in the windows 10 mobile world Oh, I think you're absolutely right. One of the things I do love is in that list of destinations, which, of course, you can add to with a single tap, as you mentioned, um, the little three dots beside each destination are kind of a grab handle. And it's really useful to having says, for example, a destination and then a, a waypoint, something you wanted to visit on the route. And then you, another destination gets chucked at you by your boss and that goes in. And then you realise that it's, a very, it's the wrong way round and you're going to have to go back on yourself. So then you just literally drag the destinations around and tap on get directions again and it repl- replans the entire route. So it's, it's really elegantly done in a way. It- I, I know I've made a bit of a song and dance about me working it out and, <laughs> and hopefully <laughs> I have done the hard work and it will now be intuitive for everyone it is but this is kind of what i mean by the attention to detail on this kind of task-based interface because the requirements would basically be i want to have multiple destinations but the reality is when you put those things in you don't always know exactly where the places that you're going to in fact a lot of the time that's why you're looking to get directions and you suddenly see okay i've got multiple destinations oh and i can eyeball and just see that that one's kind of closer and therefore okay i'm going to move around the directions rather than having to re-enter everything just using those grab handles which most people understand because actually it's a ui pattern that's familiar from the windows desktop world it's not something you see all that often on mobile and actually kind of the reordering of lists and things like that is actually an area where i think mobile could still do a bit better i mean if you think about things like the start screen or the app launchers all respective platforms you know it's like a long press or something to turn it into you know reorder sort mode and and that you know is a bit a bit fiddly this feels you know a lot more natural because it's, it's what you do if it was a piece of paper or you'd just go okay i'm going to drag that up and, and move that and sort of reorder these strips of paper and, and that just feels like a very natural interface to me yeah, the the one area I would query is the fact when you put in a search query. So, for example, say you want to stop off for for lunch en route, or you want to pick up some. In the example I gave, some tyres, perhaps a new tyre for your car en route. You can't actually search the points of interest database within the the initial route planning. You have to put in the search query, and then when you tap on get directions, it goes and then resolves any queries in the list of destinations, which is, once you get used to it, happening in that order is not a problem. But I think they could put something like a little pop-up message saying um, that you'll get a chance to resolve this when you start planning your journey. Yeah. Otherwise, it might be a bit confusing. Yeah, no, that's true. That, that That's maybe an example where it hasn't been followed all the way through on that kind of user journey you know i mean it's very easy for us to sit here and sort of be armchair <laughs> ux designers um because all in all actually it's great to see this kind of functionality come in as i say you know compared to some which is a lot more basic it, you know yes it's a, a good feature to have but yeah that does sound like something that would probably end up annoying me just because i'm a bit of a completist when doing a list like that anyway okay um, a few universal windows platform apps i wanted to highlight um music stack geophoto and dinner. Maybe I'll come to the first and third in a moment. Geophoto was interesting, Rafe. This has been around for a while as an 8.1 app, but uh, was reimagined about a year ago as a universal Windows platform app, and has since uh, re- quite recently had a big upgrade. It's right up your street. I know you're a bit of a walker and hiker and traveller. 
uh, and taking photos along the route. And basically, it, as long as you've got um, exif location data inside your inside your photos, it will plot them in a kind of a map mode, and you can zoom in and zoom out and see which photo was taken where and when. Uh, all very nicely laid out. So for a holiday uh, or excursion or a, a hike or something, it's the absolutely perfect way to browse your images. And I do, do you remember there was something similar in Lumia Storyteller a couple of years ago, written by Nokia? And of course, that died a death. One of the, the uh, Lumia apps that got uh, kind of quietly left behind. But uh, this third-party application, it's a full UWP, works very well on tablet, desktop and phone, and does just about what Mr. Blanford would, uh, would require. I think I'm going to have to download this application because it is absolutely the way I often think about how I've taken photos or I just want to, you know, review what I've been doing. And yes, I mean, I can remember using Storyteller. The performance of that wasn't always uh, very good, particularly when you had a lot of photos in your library. So I'd be interested to see how a kind of geophoto does in that respect. But it's one of those things where um, I've always felt that you've got all this location data, kind of do more with it. And you know, some of the things like OneDrive and Google Photos uh, and even, you know, Pure Photos applications are getting better at, you know, you can do a search and get back all the photos you've taken in a certain location. But I'm not sure I always think about that when I think about location. I tend to like to look at a map and then go, OK, what images did I take in this? Oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, maybe I want to scrub through a timeline as well or limit uh, things like that. But it, it's one of the things where I still think there's a lot of work for you know, people to do in general is actually the browsing and kind of looking at photos on phones. And, and I guess it's on desktop and, you know, on your Chromecast or whatever as well. Still feels like there's a lot to do. I mean, Google has really nailed it with Google Photos in terms of the search query. Um, and, you know, they do some kind of freeform browsing where you can go through categories. But I, I just think there's more to do there because there are you know there's so many photos that people are taking now it's not unusual for people to go through a couple of thousand photos or more in a year and actually have a bit of innovation about the way you browse them or then they're able to consume them after the fact i mean it used to be that you put everything into an album and had that really produced nice and it was sitting on your coffee table or in your bookshelf or whatever but that doesn't happen now and so while um, smartphones and digital cameras have absolutely solved that capture problem and do that really well and we're starting to see some really interesting things with you know the computational photography in terms of helping you take better photos or do interesting things after the fact actually there's still it still feels like there's work to do on that whole browsing consumption of your, your personal photo library and then extending that out to others as well and you know and there's things like photo streams and sharing with family and that's done well in that very linear timeline fashion but, you know, Geophoto is a great example of how, you know, you can sort of offer an alternative interface. And I'm not saying it's it's the answer. And if certainly if you like browsing on maps, great, download this because um, it, it gives you a, a, an alternative way of looking at your photos. But, you know, it actually just sparked the thought, mm, OK, so how would I like to consume my photos more in general? But, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be downloading this and giving it a go. Yeah, and it's free to download, and I think you can you can even uh, um, amend geotags. In other words, if you've forgotten to t have location turned on, it will let you add the location retrospectively. Also, it will let you remove uh, location information from something where you, perhaps it's taken at your house, and you don't want your privacy to be disturbed by people working out where, from your own home shots where you live. So, uh, very useful. I think after you, if you pay an in-app purchase, then you get to uh, do all of that. Uh, with unlimited unlimited access otherwise i think you're limited to three amendments which is quite fa fair enough for That's a trial version yeah. yeah and it's not very much either um two more uwps before we finish a uh, universal windows platform apps work work on the phone tablet the continuum and pc 
a dinner, which is kind of the boring one, which is a dedicated to-do manager. And as you can imagine, it keeps track of your to-dos and categories and very, very slick. Re- I mean, really, really slick, but incredibly boring because it's basically all the stuff you haven't got around to doing and therefore you get depressed every time you look at your long to-do list. Um, more exciting, but completely inoperative and, and a pretty... Uh, rubbish at performing which but i still want to highlight it is music stack which is attempting something very very ambitious and very exciting if you can imagine a kind of multi-track recording studio in your phone now we saw this with fl3 yes fl studio 3 mobile which i reviewed at the start of the year which is a full commercial app costing best part of 10 pounds i think and that did it but was way way over the top for what most people might want when involving thousands of virtual instruments that you could program and sequence and so forth there's you know tens of hours just to learn how to use it but very very powerful this is a much lower key it basically just records stuff from the microphone and lets you layer what you've recorded on top of what you previously recorded so if you're listening back to the first track over headphones while you're humming the next part or playing it on your instrument or whatever you can in theory use it as a multi-track recording studio and build up track after track after track and you end up with bohemian rhapsody or maybe not. <laughs> it turns out that that's quite an ambitious thing to do in real time. Uh, and this is obviously a first version. I see a UWP app and does work on Continuum quite well. Um, there are some latency issues. And I'm being a musician myself, or an amateur musician, I'm quite picky about things coming in exactly on the right beat. It's still fine for laying down an idea. But if you wanted to use this to build up any kind of demo, then I think we need a few more bug fixes from the developer first. Once this is working, though, and they've got could fix the latency and everything comes in and nicely in sync, I think this could be a really, really useful tool. And I was quite excited to have a look at it. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I mean, I'm I'm not using in any sense of the word, and it's probably quite a good thing for everybody's ear that that, <laughs> that's the that's the case. Um, but I have done this sort of thing when you're recording multiple tracks off a podcast or, or something like that. And actually, there I suspect a little bit of latency or sync issue would probably be less problematic. And actually, obviously, the big thing here is you're being able to do it on your phone. Yeah. And so, if you do want to do a quick idea when you're out and about or on the road, you know, this enables you to do it. The, the fact that you know it goes into the universal, sorry, the continuum mode um, is also quite powerful as well, simply because when you're looking at multiple tracks and looking at the waveform um, or the sort of the visualization of the audio yeah. track, um, that's something that definitely benefits from having a bigger screen because you can sort of see the the bigger picture, if you like. And actually, you know, if you're recording a podcast or something like that, you go, oh, okay, that's a bit I need to edit out. And, and that kind of clarity, you know, is a good thing to have. So uh, it's always impressive when you see these technically very complex applications, you know, on, on whatever platform. Um, so be, uh, this one sounds like it's going to be one that's worth watching. Um, and, you know, it's version one, and I assume there'll be more to come. Yeah, and after the goodbyes, Rafe and I will attempt to uh, to recreate Bohemian Rhapsody from the op- from the opening lines stay stay uh, and enjoy no I'll, well, maybe not um we'll, we'll leave that bit out <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave a, a small discussion for next week so we've got something in hand we have a reader's letter to come to and also i wanted to chat about phone materials and design but i'm sure that will take far more than the remaining 30 seconds so i shall say goodbye thanks for listening and i'll let rafe sign off Yes, I'll say goodbye as well. That's that's a topic close to my heart, so I look forward to recording uh, the next podcast. As ever, thank you for listening. If you've got any feedback, please let us know via the usual channels. And uh, I'll say goodbye as well. See you next time.